Hello, and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. With the possibility of a recession, financial institutions of all sizes may be considering a delay or cut in technology spending. As seen by recent challenges at Southwest Airlines, falling behind the technology capabilities can create enormous costs in both the short and long term. According to Forrester, firms pursuing technology-driven innovation grow three to four times faster than industry averages. Just as importantly, new technologies can reduce the cost of doing business, improve the customer experience, and provide a long-term competitive advantage. I'm excited to have Maureen doyle Spear, General Manager at the Digital Transformation Consulting Firm UST on the show today. We'll be discussing the pursuit of technology investments regardless of the economy to ensure financial institutions will be future ready. While economic downturns can be challenging for the banking industry, some of the most successful innovation and growth opportunities can often be found during times of economic uncertainty. This is because economic downturns can often coincide with reduced competition, greater access to top talent, lower cost of resources, and opportunities for strategic acquisitions. So, Maureen, before we start, can you share a little bit about yourself and the work that UST does in the banking industry? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you, Jim, for uh, having me today. Really appreciate it. And uh, a little bit about UST. UST is a digital transformation t- firm that's headquartered in Aliso, Viejo, in California. We have roughly uh, 30, 35,000 employees, you know, obviously growing rapidly, uh, over 30 locations, um, providing digital transformations for our clients. Our core ethos as a firm, which I think is very much a differentiator for us, is is humanity, humility, integrity, and really transforming lives through technology. And we actually measure ourselves um, through the transforming lives through technology. We have about... um, 20, 23 years in the business, um, our average relationship with clients exceeds 14 years, which is um, very impressive for, you know, a relatively uh, new entrant to, to this space. Um, I personally have been in the industry for over 25 years, leading consulting and solution teams, collaborating with clients, um, you know, really kind of from a business lens, making sure strategic uh directives are, are kind of outlined as well as so they align to the innovation that's being delivered um, and then infusing the technology um, as a part of that. Um, I'm really biased. I love the BFSI space personally. I, I think it's um, in sometimes it's a bit dragging um, in technology and innovation, but I also think in some ways um, it's constantly changing and I think it's it's um Really interesting on how you in, infuse that into a highly regulated environment and still make that same significant impact. So when you're working with financial institutions, you know, and we're talking about technology, we're talking about digital transformation, we're talking about innovation. What's the most glaring gap between where financial institutions are today and where your firm and you believe they should be today? Yeah, I think. I think there's a couple of ones that that I see, um, you know, AI being one of them. Um, I, I think governance around AI is, you know, it, it, wherever you read anywhere, AI is 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 in every article. 
every blog, every everything. And and I think the power of AI is incredible. I think it can make great differences into the organizations, into customer experience, as well as operational efficiencies and reducing risk. But I think where the industry hasn't put as much focus on is the implementation and governance around that. And I, you know, from a UST perspective, we have um, a number of platforms and accelerators in this area that we work with clients on. One of them is our Expresso AI platform, where we establish the lifecycle framework in order to productionize and test models before they go into production. We also have some accelerators which, um, you know, do the model debiasing, um, the model monitoring, obviously, with machine learning, models change. Um, so what you put in today, as, as you know, the model continues to learn, it can change. And so you really need to, the firms really need to be on top of that, especially from a customer experience lens, to make sure models don't drift. Um, and then finally, the explainability side of it. Um, you know, e- this kind of brings together the, the the business people as well as the technologists. So, um, you know, the details of a model can't be in the ivory tower of technology. The, the business side, the operation side need to understand what those models are doing so they can be confident that they align with their business objectives. Um, so we have a platform called Demystify that basically does that, reads the models, put them into layman's terms. So it bridges that gap between technology and the business to bring that greater um transparency around governance. So to me, while there's a lot of shiny balls out there right now, I I think, you know, as everything, the pendulum swings a little bit and uh, resiliency and governance, um, you know, has to be then applied. So when you look at the investment in digital technology, transformation, even fintech collaborations, do you see this changing in the near future, especially in light of what happened with Silicon Valley Bank and the concerns about higher interest rates, less VC money, things of this nature? How do you see this impact in the overall investment level by financial institutions in these key elements around digital transformation? So I do think there's going to be an increased spend on resiliency. Um, you know, those those data-driven insights um, to identify risk patterns, anomalies, um, being able to highlight risks ahead of time. Um, you know, more more focus on predictive analytics, scenarios, you know, putting out more scenarios, doing more testing on, on future scenarios because, you know, the, the industry changes on a dime and, you know, you, you need to have that proactive prevention. Um, certainly the, the adaptive learning side of it, you know, putting in the best practices and the controls around, you know, past experiences and putting those into the models. So I do think there'll be continued um, uh, spend and innovation around building um, those insights to to reduce risk for firms. Um, additionally, I think cyber risk. Well, you know, the, right now it's not top of mind. Certainly, eight months ago, six months ago, you know, where where we were in in, in our uh, our cycle, cybersecurity was top of mind. It continues to be top of mind. Uh, the SEC is, I believe, has some new proposed regulations um, that that have come out or in a proposal that will require firms to have more granularity and quicker quicker turnaround 
time on reporting of cybersecurity risks. So I think that resiliency aspect is going to be very, very important from a global perspective. Um, you know, DORA, which is a, a resiliency, EU resiliency, that basically looks at your, your, your technology as well as your operational and um, needs to, to do some filings with the regulators, that they have measured their operational and uh, technology risks and partnerships adequately. So I do think um, there is going to be a spend. I think it's, once again, going to be compliance. It's going to be risk. It's it's how can we leverage all this digital technology, but, but the same resiliency and risk around it. So the basis of this conversation, this podcast, was the concern around maybe a reduced level of investment because of the economic uncertainty. Do you see financial institutions being more tentative or do you see some organizations actually doubling down on technology investments and innovation? So I see it a little bit of both. I think it depends on the firm. Um, you know, there, there, there absolutely has been, to some extent, a slowdown. Um, I don't think projects are being shelved. I think they're kind of slowing down to some extent. Um, I think there are still some very strategic pro programs of work when it comes to customer experience that people are definitely focusing on. Um, I, so I do think it, it, it goes across the board. I think from a talent acquisition perspective, I've seen more changes on how firms are handling that, um, where they actually are looking for partners um, and not doing direct hires in order to, to do that. Um, I also right. see them looking at options with gig talent. Um, UST has... Um, uh, a program called Open Talent. And that what it does is we're able to work with our clients and bring on that gig talent, which is basically that short-term, very specialized talent that is needed. And so I think that is, um, you know, something that, that firms are looking to do is not hire um, and when they do, it's very strategic hiring. It, it is so they have very strategic programs of work that are continuing and they are looking for some very differentiated um, talent and hiring. But the mass hiring and, and the mass investments we saw saw of six, eight you know, months ago, a year ago, definitely has slowed down, but it hasn't stopped. Um, it, 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 there are there is con continued innovation. Um, but it is strategic. It's definitely more thoughtful, for sure. It's interesting to say that because I was at an event this past week, and and a lot of the talk was that instead of the big core transformation ideas, the the big buys, organizations are really focusing on trying to get speed and scale through partnerships and collaborations. And as you said, those strategic components, those I need to fix this right now in the next three months, as opposed to we need to transform the entire core over the next couple of years. It's short term. It's immediate impact. It's very, as you said, strategically focused. But I think it's probably stronger because it opens up the door for the entire industry. It doesn't matter what size your firm is. When you talk about partnering and collaboration, you really have a lot more opportunities out there to grow and to change at, at speed in scale. You know, when, when you look at the topic of new uses of data and technology, and you look at, let's say, uh, you know, metaverse and blockchain and chat GPT, 
What do you see as the future there? And and in what time frame do you see these maybe have an impact on the financial services industry? Yeah, no, obviously, great great question. Um, Because all of these at one point in time have been the shiny ball. Um, You know, I've been long enough in this industry to, you know, some shiny balls take off, some shiny balls, um, you know, find their use cases. Um, You know, obviously, blockchain has been around for a while. It, it, I, absolutely believe there there are continued use cases in that. Um, firms have been working on that now for a number of years very successfully. Um, and it does bring that efficiency, but it but it is a very high cost. Going back to what you said, um, you know, getting these quick quick hits, quick wins um, to, to continue to realize the benefits of the of their strategic initiatives. Um, that one I think, you know, takes investment, takes time. Um, I see a lot of firms, you know, the the, the new chat GPT, I think it's actually um, incredibly powerful. I think, you know, the, the, the client assisted client um, capabilities that it has um, that, you know, from servicing and working with clients on loan originations, onboarding, uh, fraud detection. Um, but once again, I'm going to jump on the, the, the um, bandwagon of, um, explainability. So, you know, you have to put the governance around chat GPT. You just kind of can't put it out there. Um, I think chat GPT, I, I, you know, metaverse is, is certainly, um, it, I think that's going to be a cultural change for banks. I think it's going to be a cultural change for the average, uh, you know, um, uh, individual who, who banks, um, yeah. getting used to the universe, uh, the metaverse. But I, do think actually ChatGPT and Metaverse bring an interesting combination together. Um, I, I do think the ChatGPT can really, um, you know, bring that more realistic conversational to the Metaverse and to the avatar. Um, I think in certain situations when you get into, you know, the the, the banks that do a lot of kiosks um, and cafes and virtual, I, I think those type of culture banks, I think, could could really advance on the chat GPT and, and metaverse. Um, I think chat GPT from, you know, assisting um, the, the, the banking customer, um, I think it can be really used successfully. I do think metaverse is going to take um, time for the, the, the bank itself to, to um, embrace it, as well as the average saver to, you know, to go into a Go in and 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 use either in their home or in a in a um, uh, a banking location to to actually kind of use that metaverse. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I think we're seeing you know financial institutions are are not the leaders, so they're not the breakthroughs in most cases. But I think ChatGPT, as you mentioned, from a content development perspective, from an informational transformation perspective, it, it's going to be very powerful and, and probably implemented rather quickly, you know, because mm-hmm. those are lower risk situations. So again, you have to worry about biases, you have to worry about all kinds of other elements. And, you know, behind the scenes, it really explodes the whole element of, of cybersecurity. Because yeah. as, as good as ChatGPT can do, it can also replicate me. 
um, and my voice, my look, yes. everything about me. And so it, it elevates the good and the bad. And, and yep. you know, when we're looking at digital transformation, we're looking at innovation, we're looking at digital technology overall, a lot of focus is put on the end result, the customer experience, the top of glass experience. What do you see when you work with financial institutions as to the the friction that's created by back office not keeping up. I mean, we talk often on this podcast mm -hmm. about the fact that, you know, the front office and the, the front experience is only going to be as strong as your back office support is going to be. What is the challenge with finance institutions that you work with in getting to re completely rethink some of that back office transformation? Yeah, it, it's funny you say that. It, it's... They, you know, I've been in this industry for a very long time, and, and you're absolutely right. When when I talk to clients, um, their, their digitization is they've still not embraced it. Um, you know, for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, sometimes depending on the that the function, it's very high touch. They, you know, they don't trust automation. Um, a lot of it is fragmented ecosystem, a fragmented ecosystem with a lot of um, best best in class products that are not integrated. Um, a, a common data um, framework to 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 use. Um, so I, I I don't think in many cases in 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 certain functions of the bank that that they fully embrace digitization yet. Um, I think, as you said, for various reasons, it could be job yeah. security. It could be not understanding things, you know, and, and we talked about it before we went live is that just change itself is, is tough. I, I, anybody listening to the podcast or see me present recently knows that, you know, I, I talk about the financial institution that buys a plug and play strategic solution. And then when the collaborating third party partner comes in, they go, well, I like everything you said, and I want you still to hit your goal, but we don't want to let go of X processor procedure. You go, well, you can't get there without changing that. And a lot of it has to do with know your customer um, regulations and, and the perception of what is needed from a know your customer. There are a lot of digital ways to take care of know your customer outside of a driver's license. In fact, significantly mm -hmm. better than the driver's license. However, most financial institutions still start with that as a first step or make current customers still fill out all the information as if they are not even known by the financial institution. And this, this is unacceptable from a consumer standpoint that knows the banking industry can do better, but holding on to so many of the legacy processes because of the lack of ability to envision what the possibilities are, even when you partner with a firm that has done it elsewhere. You know, mm -hmm. it, I, I remember selling in the in the not so far past and people go, well, it's not the same here or we're different nope. than other organizations. You go, I, I'm sorry, right now I'm seeing this looking back as the traditional excuses. You have a you have a list of seven or six, whatever number it is, excuses you're gonna use in every case to not do things differently. However, you still envision a future that says, we're going to make it easy on the customer. We're going to make it easy. We're going to reduce friction. You go, those are not equal. You can't, you can't do one without the other. 
I actually completely agree with you. I, I, you know, very much in the large banks, um, you know, smaller banks, a little different, larger banks, every, every division is their own, um, their own company. Sometimes they're, they're it, it's so silent. Their own fiefdom. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you use the term better than me. <laughs> <laughs> better for me to say it than you probably also. Exactly. But, it, but you got it. <laughs> you know, and, and, the, and the challenge is, you know, I've said it before in this podcast, the challenge is these people have never had a bad year. You know, the reality is, no. could it have been better? Yeah, probably. But we're not talking about an industry that doesn't make money year after year after year. Different levels of it. But when you have those kinds of successes and you have – you know, legacy leadership that now has 20, 30 years under their belt, they're on the tail side of this. And, you know, they're going, you know, I may not want to do these things as much as I say I do in the public. Yep. Yep. No, I, I, I completely agree with you. And, you know, it's funny onboarding, it, you know, fragmented onboarding, not digitized, not self-service, you know, the KYC. It's been around for years and still, you know, and there's a lot of really good technology out there. You know that. I know that. Um, UST has a, you know, a great um, a smart ops, which is our intelligent automation that does a lot of that natural language processing, taking, you know, documents in, verifying, et cetera. Um, it's a cultural. It's cultural. Um, it, it you know, is. And- do, do, do do yeah. they accept um, and and you know trust technology and and that's you know that that's basic blocking and tackling the um, uh, automation aspect of it when you bring AI into it um, you know pe- people even get more concerned so going back to the beginning of what I said is at the beginning of all this is the governance. Um, yeah. And and bring that bringing that explainability, because until you bring that explainability, um, that th- that will build the trust between yeah. the yeah. operations and the te- technology for side of the house. It's top down and it's communication. I mean, I know some firms that do an extraordinarily good job of communicating to employees their desire to have them embrace what's coming up from a digital perspective and how it can help them, as opposed to put them at risk. But we have a whole lot of this going around that says, I don't want to be put out of a job. So I'm going to I'm going to I'll put invisible roadblocks in the way until I get told otherwise. And, you know, we I look back and you can remember the dates of the signature card. We always thought as an industry, (laughs) those were required when really signature cards weren't required. It was just the requirement to know your customer. You know, only somebody only asked to go to the Apple card to realize that there's better and more technology advanced and safer ways of doing know your customer than than traditional methods. So, you know, I'm going to pivot a little bit here. And, and, you know, it's clearer than ever that we have an increased need for experience and talent that really understands digital transformation and future technologies. How do you envision this war for talent playing out? And does this need for town open the door for new third-party and fintech collaborations? And you touched upon a little bit earlier where you don't necessarily have to buy the talent or acquire all this talent for everything, but you partner with those firms that do it and maybe go up a scale with regard to having talent that can manage the outside resources. Yeah, so it's an interesting topic. And, you know, a year ago, the, the talent wars are different than they are right now. Definitely. Um, you know, the, 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 it has eased up a little bit. 
but there is very significant demand. We have a very significant demand, but it's once again, very differentiated skills. Um, so I, I, and, and people are partnering, they, they, the larger banks hiring is, you know, not, not as, as quick and, and fast as it was before. They're not getting a lot of approvals to hire, but as you aptly put the, the, they're still proceeding with their projects. They still have their KPIs. They still have to hit it. So they are looking for partners and that's where, you know, UST with our innovation and our experience and our capabilities and accelerators, we have done that um, a lot with our clients. Uh, another area that I, I, I see is um, low code, no code. Um, yes. So there's a lot of interest. Um, and, and, and I see that for a couple of reasons. One, talent is part of it. The other is speed to market. Um, the other is it can kind of get more into the business side of it. Um, you know, we partner with Microsoft um, for the power apps, uh, as well as out systems. We recently, um, was a strategic partner with um, Mendex, AWS, and UST with a focus on modernization, um, as their partner in, in that area. Um, but an interesting thing um, that UST has, in addition to the gig talent, we have a program called Step It Up. Um, going back to the beginning when I said our ethos was humanity, humility, and integrity, and that we actually do measure transforming lives, um, we have a program called Step It Up that's been in existence for about um 10, 12 years. And basically, we work with our clients to identify um, diversity, talent, and depending on how they define diversity, um, we upskill those. So they're non-STEM people. Um, we upskill them. Um, UST invests in that. The client does not. So that is our, our you know, contribution to transforming lives. Um we train them. It can be up to six, seven months. We've done, um, you know, hundreds of these programs for a lot of the the BF, our BFSI clients. We've brought in skilled people from, uh, you know, Java to cybersecurity analysts. Um, you know, the we we were doing as a, as I like to say, we were doing this before anybody was looking. Um, you know, before it was on trend, I kind of laughed with my husband. I said, oh, you know, 25 years later, being a woman in tech is finally, you know, finally yeah. on trend. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. but, but, but we do this. We, you know, it's from a military program. It's women. It's, it's, it's people of color. Um, we have done this. We've done this successfully. We've done it for a lot of firms. We're landing cybersecurity analysts. Our clients then have the opportunity to hire them. So it risks for our clients, the the integration, the training, bringing people into the workforce um, that normally wouldn't be in the STEM workforce. Um, so we we have done this. We think it's a huge differentiator. Our clients have come back. Um, and it brings new people into, into tech, um, you know, and, and, and actually makes the firm actually, you know, diversity is never a bad thing. Diversity of thought, diversity of people. Um, and it's one of the, what I think, foundational things of, our, you know, of who UST is um, from a firm level. So let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsors of this podcast. 
So welcome back. I'm joined today by Maureen Doyle-Spare, General Manager at the Digital Transformation Consulting Firm, UST. We've been discussing the importance of investment in modern technologies despite economic uncertainties. So Maureen, there continues to be a lot of talk around digital transformation in banking, yet based on our research at least, the pace of this transformation differs immensely from organization to organization. To be prepared for the future, where do organizations have to make big bets today? You know, I, I, I think the big bets that they need to play is definitely, they, they need to get their infrastructure into the cloud. Um, you know, it, it, getting their infrastructure into the cloud and their data management, um, it, it, a more unified data management um, strategy, I think is important because going back to what you said on the, um, you know, the back office, the back, the, you know, how the back office operates affects your customer experience. And, and, and until things are, are able to integrate, there's normalization of data across the large banks, you know, for KYC and onboarding, um, that, that really is, you know, the foundational um, aspects certainly need to be done. Um, you know, cybersecurity, we, we absolutely have to look at that. And then finally, I, I do think AI, um, you know, the pay, power of AI is not to be dismissed. Um, I think it can help front, middle, and back office um, from client experience to processing, you know, loan applications and, and chat GPT. And so I think to me, the, you know, Understanding how you can infuse AI into your overall business and, you know, create the, the, the impact you want, I think is, is, you know, one of the big bets that firms have to take a hard look at. You know, it's interesting, too, because we've used AI for years in the risk and security areas. And I think if organizations implement AI solutions within, let's say, a, a, a column, a, a, a a silo of the bank, maybe it's loan processing, maybe it's new account opening, whatever it is. That's a good way to get your feet wet. And and because of the fact that there's so many ways now to modify and modernize the core without having to do the whole thing at once, mm -hmm. I think it's a great way to dip your toes in the water, but jump in fast type scenario. So mm -hmm. when, you know, do you see a bias? You, you work with a lot of different organizations of different sizes. Do you see a bias as to how the organizational structure of financial institutions should be changed to place the right emphasis on technology and data and innovation. And 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 maybe the answer is not, you know, a, a black and white solution. Maybe it's based on the organization. But how do you see this done in the industry? Because we're really moving quickly. And I, I think at least in my observations, organizations are challenged as to how should they restructure for the modern world? Is there any one answer? Or are there certain biases that you might have that say, you know, this is what I would probably do? Yeah, I think and I think I've seen the most success when firms really adopt the agile mindset. Um, I, I've seen a lot of banks be agile-ish, um, but but really not bought into being agile. I, I think agile brings the, the the agile philosophy really brings IT and the business together, um, and and. In, in the large banks, that's where, you know, the magic happens. When, when you can bring IT and business together and be able to, to you know, foster innovation, 
do quick hits, you know, fail fast. And, and, and part of agile is, you know, I'm I'm laughing only because the banking world doesn't like the fail fast only because they don't want to have any risks. So they don't want to fail ever, which, which is a real mindset change that needs to take place. Exactly. Which is why I'm saying I, you know, the the agile, you know, from beginning to end, you know, not, not just from a, and I'm not just talking about it from a, a, you know, a, a, delivering technology framework. I'm talking about it, a complete mindset. Um, and when you're able to really kind of get that complete mindset, um, it, it really does bridge bridge the uh, the business and the technology partners. And so you behave differently. You, you look at things differently. Um, and, and because you're taking things in small bits um, and, and moving things along, that the, you know, you can do that fail fast and rapidly pivot um, rather than planning out a large program of work, putting lots of resources and, you know, getting three quarters of the way through and realizing, you know, maybe it isn't working as planned. Um, so so I do think firms that, that um, embrace Agile are, tend to be more successful, but it is, it is a cultural shift. It is not just a technology approach shift. It is a cultural shift. So, Maureen, you you talked about being agile and, and having more involvement across the organization to be able to fail fast. I'm going to move that a little bit towards democratization of data insights in modern technology so that more people in the, in the organization can embrace what's available as opposed to simply having it be in the, the realm of one silo within an organization. Do you see more organizations going towards this structure of saying, we want more people to have the power to leverage the insights, the data, the technologies that we have within our organization? I do. I I, I think aspirationally, absolutely. I think everybody agrees, you know, to, to, to really give the personalization and the value-added services, um, you, you need that holistic view of the customer. Um, you need to understand. You need to also pull in the, um, you know, the the, the, the non-structured external um, information as well as what what's you know the firm has in order to to really understand the customer's behaviors, the customer's preferences, and really pull that together as, as a single holistic uh, unit. So I think firms understand that in order to be competitive, they absolutely need to do that. I think it comes to their, their, their data management and how willing they are to change their data management. And do they have the resources? Do they have the tools to, um, you know, really enhance and make that accessibility to the data? You know, a lot of the data sometimes, um, you know, is on um, on-prem um, applications and, and, and not hosted in the cloud. So it's not accessible um, to, to the greater uh, banking institution. So um, we've worked with a lot of clients, you know, doing that modernization, moving the, the data to the cloud, um, moving, we, we partner with um, a, pl- a platform called Next Pathway that actually helps. We work alongside it and we are able to um, quickly move, not the, data, but the, the, the harder part of it is to move all that ETL that's built around that data. Um, so if they are moving to the cloud that, that you know, the it 
all that ETL doesn't have to be rebuilt. Um, so we we work closely with our partners and, and our clients to kind of um, try to bring our expertise and our accelerators to um, you know, help them achieve that. But I think philosophically, most of the banks agree, yes, they need to do it. Yes, they need to get all this um, unstructured external alternative data sources. Um, To some extent, you could consider within a large bank, the, you know, other divisions, you know, external data sources, while they shouldn't be, but uh, sometimes you can, you can see that, but um, they, I think it is having it in the cloud and then having that, um, you know, data management with cross divisions in the bank, um, which is going to be, you know, go back to what I said at the beginning, it's foundational. It's foundational. Um, and that foundational lift has to be done to support the transformation. So as we wrap up this conversation, what do you think is the biggest challenge facing the banking industry today? Um, I, I do think the biggest challenge is resiliency governance. Um, I, I, I think, um, you know, everybody needs to keep up with the, with the customer experience. I think everybody is aware of that. Um, I think as technology changes, I think as customer behaviors change, I think there's going to be, you know, increased focus and expenditure um, on putting, you know, uh, improved controls and, and, you know, potentially regulation demands. Um, so I think that, that that is one area that I think you'll find banks spending more and more time um, to, to make sure that they mitigate that. And the alternative, what's the biggest opportunity for the industry, do you believe? I think the biggest opportunity for the industry, you know, is, is changing how they do business. Um, you know, it that may kind be of a what, challenge also. I'll, I'll give you a pass on that because that, it's, it's one of those things you go, it's the biggest opportunity, but uh, it's the hardest thing for them to do. Yeah. It is. It is. And, and um, you know, ad- adopting new ways of doing business and, um, you know, with, and, and I think you said it at the beginning and, and I, fully agree with you with, with each, you know, instability in the, in the market and uncertainty, um, it brings opportunities. It makes us look at, at how we do things differently. Um, it forces us how to look at do things differently. Um, so I, I think the, the biggest thing that we can look at as, as opportunity is, you know, this instability is making a lot of firms figure out how they be become more efficient. Um, you know, if the economy was, you know, humming along like it was two years ago, um, you know, would people be looking at optimization as, as closely as they are today if we weren't having some of the cybersecurity challenges um, that, that we've had over the last 18 months in, in, the, in the world? Would we have leaned into, to, um, you know, resiliency and, and cybersecurity? So I think, you know, we look at what's going on and, and, and it does change what we do as an organization. And everybody is looking at um, optimization right now. You know, it's interesting. I, I am becoming more and more of a believer that size doesn't matter. 
Um, I'm seeing some amazing things being done by some of the smallest organizations I would have ever considered to be in the the realm of innovation, digital transformation, all this. But I think between the mindset differences between the small and the larger organizations, the ability to buy at scale strategic solutions in pockets to fix what's broken in in a prioritization order as opposed to saying, we got to fix it all at once. And I think the mindsets, I, I, I'm I excited about what I'm seeing in the, the small and mid-sized community banks and community credit unions because they really have a focus on getting things done without getting caught up into their legacy, um, mm-hmm. their legacy mindset. And that's exciting for me um, because it, it opens the door to a lot of opportunities, especially at times of this you know, strange mm-hmm. world we're in. You know, people said, you know, okay, people are transferring money from community banks to the biggest five banks. Well, I think money flows the other way just as easily as organizations say, geez, how much money do I want to put in with X, Y, and Z? And and the focus on the community becomes greater. So, Maureen, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time and thoroughly enjoyed the uh, the discussion. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. If you enjoy what we're doing, please take 30 to 45 seconds to show some love in the form of a positive review. It helps us continue to get great guests. Finally, be sure to catch the recent articles on the financial brand and check out the research we're doing at the Digital Bank Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Hassage. Audio engineer Sean Roe Hoffman and video producer Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, remember the best preparation for tomorrow is investing in what is important today. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.